whatever you're focusing your energy on, whether that's becoming a better father, better, you know, becoming a better mother, a better husband, whatever it may be, you need to focus 110% effort on whatever you're doing, or you're going to sell yourself short. And like, if you, if you believe in yourself that you deserve to do great things, like why would we sell ourselves short? Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another epic, amazing episode of For the Love of Money. I'm really, really excited for today's episode because I'm sitting down with the legendary motivational speaker, Nick Santanastasso. Now, you probably already know, but Nick is the gentleman who was born with that really rare genetic condition that left him with no legs, one arm, and one finger on the one arm. Let me repeat that. No legs, one arm, and one finger on the one arm. Yet, Nick has gone on to lead this extraordinary life where he inspires millions of people. And he's turned it into this incredible entrepreneur journey as well. So I can't wait to get into that conversation. Now, I met Nick at an event for like-minded entrepreneurs. And that's exactly where you should be if you too are an entrepreneur. You need to thrust yourself into the crowd where everybody else is that are gonna lift you up. They're gonna tell you what your next step is. They're gonna support you during your ups and downs. And that's why I put together my mastermind. So I want you to go to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. And if you're looking for that tribe for 2019, because that's what I'm putting together right now, 2018, that tribe is already done and sailed. That one's already put together. But if you want to be a part of the 2019 tribe that I carefully hand select, then I want you to go to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. It's for multiple six-figure entrepreneurs, anyone who is at $300,000 and up, you should be going to fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind checking it out and clicking apply. You and I will jump on the phone once you do. And I cannot wait to talk to you about what your goals and make sure that you are a fantastic fit for the group and that the group is exactly what you are looking for for 2019. But don't wait because there's already a waiting list and I just want the best of the best of the best in there. I am handpicking everyone to make sure that that room truly does contribute and lift each other up in a way that you can't even fathom. So go check it out, fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. I can't wait to talk to you about your goals and see you in that room in 2019. Now, Nick is about to blow your mind. He's about to make you leave all your excuses aside and go run through a freaking wall. Because not only was he born with this rare genetic condition that left him with no legs and one arm, but he has again you know, defied the odds over and over and over again, creating this incredible career, first as a high school athlete, then as a bodybuilder, then as a fitness model, and now as one of the most famous motivational speakers who everyone has been talking about the past year. You know, Nick rose to fame with a series of these these awesome inspirational videos that he did, gaining a massive social media following that includes being on these videos with like, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Tony Robbins and Gary Vee. I mean, he knows how to network and work with the best of the best. And he actually is going to tell some stories in this episode about what he's willing to do for success. Like the time that he cut his arm off in order to make his dream of wrestling come true. That's right. Wait till you hear that story. We'll also talk about why perspective is so important and so powerful if you want to be successful or happy. You've got to master perspective and he gives you tips how. And we also get into what drives him to be so successful. 
I mean, his giving heart will make you want to drop what you're doing and go commit an act of generosity like right away. So listen, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to really listen up. I want you to really get ready. I want you to really find yourself in his story. And I want you to find some inspiration that makes you take the next step that you've been holding off on. So get ready because this episode is incredible. All right, Nick, my friend, good to see you again, man. How you doing? Thank you. Thank you. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I appreciate you having me on here. Are you kidding me? This is my privilege. Like I am out of my freaking mind for all of the listeners to hear about your story, to hear what you're up to, to like be exposed to you. When I, when I got to see you at Thrive and, and when I had the ability to hear you speak, I mean, we're talking like goosebumps in terms of the way that you reach people and, and the way that you've reached me. So this is my privilege to have you on, man. So here's what we do. Typically, we start to pick up the show. Uh, we start to pick up the pace by starting with rapid fire. It's kind of a fun way for my listeners to get to know you in a hurry. And then if there's okay. something that comes up, We'll circle back around and do a deep dive on it. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right. So I'm going to start real easy, man. Where'd you grow up? Grew up in Bayville, New Jersey. And where do you live now? I live in Tampa, Florida. All right. Tampa peeps. This is your boy. (laughs) Favorite quote? Oh, man. I like Nelson Mandela's. uh, I always quote him. I never lose. I only win or learn. Oh, my God. It's so good, right? What is one of your superpowers? (laughs) Oh, man. My superpower, my mindset. Totally. One of your favorite books besides your own. Can't cheat. Yeah. Oh, man. My, actually, my first taste of personal development was um, Be Obsessed or Be Average and 10X. So I have to give it to Grant. Grant. All right. Shout out to Grant right there. Um, what is one thing you're challenged by right now? One thing I'm challenged by is staying in my peak shape while traveling. See, when I see you and when I hear that, I'm like, what are you talking about staying in your peak shape while traveling? Like, you are fitness inspiration for Lori and I. You're, you're shredded. Your workouts are insane. <laughs> I'm a little fluffy right now. <laughs> your workouts are insane. But I know the Thank struggle, you. right? Because Lori and I are on the yeah. road 24-7 too. And it is, it is this, when you have a high standard, it's an ongoing struggle. Oh yeah, it's a constant battle for sure. And mentally, you know, it messes up. It messes you up mentally. It totally does. All right, a few more here real quick. Uh, favorite yeah. speech you've ever given? Oh... My favorite speech I've ever given. I, I did a speech for Tony Robbins Youth Foundation, and like the energy was absolutely, you know, the, the, the energy Tony produces. So the kids were like out of control. I love it. It's one, one of my favorite ones. I love it. Who is someone who's changed your life? My team, my best friend, Ratmir. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, open, open my eyes, open my eyes to how big we can do things. I love that. I love that. What is one of your all time favorite accomplishments thus far? My all-time favorite accomplishments this far, I would have to say, is doing my first international gig where it was simultaneously translated. That was always a goal of mine. That's so badass, by the way. (laughs) Thanks. Two more. Do you have any regrets? Not applying myself in school. Um, I I didn't go to college, but I don't regret it because I did other things that I'm super grateful for. But yeah, no, I I try to live my life with no regrets. Yeah, for sure. Same here, man. I love it. Last but not least, what is one generous thing you've done recently? One generous thing I've done recently, I had was coming home from a steakhouse. I had leftover food. There was a there was a guy on the side of the road, and instead of giving him money, I'd rather give him something that they can use immediately. So I gave him some food. Of course, you did, man. There's a lot of there's a lot of yeah in Tampa. It's it's you know it's a perspective change. There's a lot of homeless around here. Same thing in Santa Monica here. I mean, I'll tell you what. All you have to do is walk out your front door to yeah. sober up to the reality of the bubble that you live in, right? 
Yep, exactly. For right. sure. So let's go a little deeper into the interview now because I'm so freaking intrigued by your story. You were born with Hanhart syndrome, which is a rare birth defect that left you with no legs, an underdeveloped right arm, and a left arm that has just one finger effectively, right? Yes. And there's only, is, is yes. it true that there's only four people alive with this condition? Yeah, so at the time of my birth in 1996, I was the 12th baby. And so out of the 12, eight of them have passed. And so that led me with a 30% chance to live. And so at the time I was the fourth and I survived. I think um, there's, there's probably more now um, because, you know, things are just, you know, things just don't stop. But at the time in 1996, I was the 12th. Wow. Okay. So you're born with no legs, an underdeveloped right arm, and a left arm that really just has one big finger on it. And yet you live this extraordinary life. I'm talking, you are all over the world. You are meeting celebrities left and right. You are inspiring people. You have a life that everybody else that is born with every advantage wishes that they had. So let's start by asking, what can you first tell us about Hanhart syndrome? Yeah, so Hanhart syndrome, it, what it is, it's a super rare genetic disorder and it either leaves the babies with undeveloped limbs or undeveloped organs. And so 70% of the time the babies are born and they can't breathe on their own or they can't eat on their own and they're hooked up to all these machines and you know they later on pass away because the, the body can't support itself. And so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much the gist. And so do you remember the age that you first realized that maybe you were born differently? Yeah, I think... I think it was in preschool because it's it's funny. I, I look back recently. I look back at some ba- uh, baby pictures, right? Preschool pictures, and it was during Christmas time. We were taking a class picture, and we all had Santa hats on. And then you know, there's me, and I had my left hand shoved up in my hat, like hiding my finger. And so I guess you know, even as a little boy, that I I didn't like the way my hand looked, and I knew it was different, and I didn't want to show it, especially in pictures, which is it's, it's that's wild to think about. Wow, and so. Talk to me about that journey in the early years, elementary school and middle school. What was it like growing up with, you know, being different? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that Christmas hat thing was just a little taste. Um, I, I was, it wasn't too bad, I guess, then. Um, but when I got into middle school, you know, middle school was, a, I always say, a big slap in the face for me. And middle school, you know, now is a, is a brutal time. Um, you know, it was for us, maybe even more now, it's it's harder for these kids, but middle school and high school are probably the most judgmental times of your life. Mm-hmm. And like where the most things are going on, your hormones, right? Like everything, like life's just blowing up for you. And so middle school, I did realize I was different. I also realized that I guess now that I'm thinking of it, that's a great question. Um, even even after preschool, there was a, a particular story and, and this story is actually in my book. It, it was a time where we were playing kickball and I think I was in I was in third or fourth grade and we were playing kickball and I would have someone kick for me and I'd run around the bases cause I could run, I could still run. And so, um, someone kicked the ball and, and I had, I got a home run. Like I slid in and, and they were too late. I was too fast. And, and the catcher, I still know his name, which I, I won't, I won't, uh, you <laughs> he won't bust that, him out. <laughs> I, I remember that stuff. Right. And so he, he said to the, the pitcher, he said, how are you going to let a cripple score on us? Oh. And, here I am. Like I'm, I'm like a fourth, I'm like a fourth grader, oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm like a fourth grader. And you know, I, I probably cried. I think I cried. Cause even now it kind of like hits me. Um, just because like, I, like if I could look back and like talk to that young kid, <laughs> you know, but I, I realized, I realized, I guess there was, there was moments, right. Where you, you continuously realize or you continuously get reinforced by others. And so middle school, 
I realized, you know, I never got bullied. I'll make that clear, but they're always teasing, right? There's always like name calling or low key, like whispering and stuff. And so I realized, you know, although I was getting pushed in a wheelchair that, and I had someone sitting with me in class, that was my aide. that kids thought I was slower. And I just knew, right. If people didn't say it, I just knew that people like looked at me differently. Mm-hmm. And so that was a super low point. And it, and it got to the point where I didn't want to go outside. I didn't want to look into a mirror. Um, you know, I just, I just hated my body. And the funny thing is, is that like in my family still to this day, I was the lighthouse, you know, I'm the lantern. I'm always the, I'm the glue and I'm, I'm like that positive person. And, you know, all throughout my life, teachers and people would be like, oh, you're so positive, you're such a positive person, such an inspiration, right? My whole life I had to hear this. And, and in that low point, I would just put on a mask because I knew energy was contagious and I didn't want to, you know, make people upset because if people saw me upset, then they would be upset. Like that was my, that was my thinking, you know, back then, which is still true, right? I mean, energy is contagious. And so I didn't even tell my parents that I was in this super low state, like suicidal thoughts. Like I never even told anyone because I just didn't want to put that on other people. My God, Nick. So here you are having suicidal thoughts. You're, you're suffering inside, but you put a smile on outside because you feel the responsibility of being the beacon of light or the motivation for everybody else. When, when did this start to change? When, and I'm going to use your term. You said you didn't want to even look in the mirror at one, what, some point. What age was that? The last time you remember that? This was, I mean, freshman year, right? I was what is it, hell, 16. Like those are like tough years, 16, 17, um, even, even 15, 14. I was just like an out of shape kid. Um, you know, just, um, and, and the one thing that I've been talking about openly, right. More that, cause it helps is just like in middle school, right. And going into high school guys are, you know, guys are looking for girls and girls are looking for guys, right? Like we're humans. We want to feel some sort of, you know, female energy or, or masculine energy, whether you're a guy or girl. And, um, I didn't like girls were one of my big triggers for those thoughts mm-hmm. because, um, you know, like I, I didn't have a, you know, I never had a girlfriend up until, you know, high school, but like, I knew that girls just, I, you know, my limiting beliefs, right. I thought girls thought I was disgusting and, you know, they didn't, I couldn't date a girl because of that. And I couldn't walk a girl, you know, in between classes, I couldn't open her locker for her. I couldn't open Like, these are the things that go through my head that would drive me into this deep, dark place of like, Oh, I hate my body. I, I need to get out of this. Nick, I can't imagine what that feels like. I can't imagine, you know, being in that situation I'm sure people can only barely pretend to put themselves there and try and empathize with what that felt like. What was the first thing or when was the first time that this started to shift from feeling these feelings that had you so down and out to being this epic inspiration that you are today? Yeah, so you know what's wild is that I don't think, I mean... I'll be super honest today. I, I, I had one of those days, you know, like when you introed me and you're like, you know, you do all these amazing things. Like today I'm sitting around like, like, what are you doing with your life? Mm-hmm. Like you're not doing enough with your life. Like I just came off of tour for a month and I have like two weeks home and I'm sitting here and I'm like, Nick, like, are you really doing enough? Like, you know, and, and it wasn't a great day. And then I have to come on here and be myself. Right. And so I think we always have these moments um, it's just, you know how to dig yourself out of it and you, you build that muscle of self-awareness. And so I think, um, there was a moment wrestling, wrestling turned everything around for me. 
Uh, my freshman year, I got into high school on a, and I wanted something that was going to dig me out of this hole. I wanted a sport or something like an extracurricular activity where I could be with my friends more. And so my best friend, Dan, we're still best friends to this day. He wrestled his whole entire life, but he decided to be a bowler his freshman year. And he said, you know, Nick, you can bowl. All you got to do is push the ball down the lane. You get to eat cheese fries when you come back. And, you know, I was a little chubby kid and I'm like, I'm in, you know, like I'm about it. And so, you know, I, I did bowling. And I always say, you know, my varsity team, the varsity team were studs and our JV team was undefeated until I joined the team. <laughs> I joined the team and I gave them their first loss. And, you know, I, I, I bowled for a little bit um, that year and finished the season out. But I realized that I wanted to push myself much more. I needed something, you know, much more. And so my, my older brother, who's about six years older than me, he wrestled for that same exact high school, was a stud. And so I always just organically looked up to my brother. And, you know, like in middle school, the coaches would be like, Nick, like, when are you, when are you coming out? When are you coming out for the team? We want you to wrestle, right? And so I just, I was always drawn to wrestling. And so my sophomore year, my, my buddies all went back to wrestling and they were all studs and was like, dude, like, you always try new things. Like, why don't you try wrestling? And I, I said, I can't, my arm and my, my right limb, um, which is right below the elbow, a little bit before the elbow so people can get a visualization. visualization. Um, it, was, it was five inches longer than it is now. My bone was growing faster than my skin. And so it was super sensitive. It was like your finger, but even even like, even thinner skin and you couldn't really touch it on things because like if I would have hit my arm hard enough the bone would have came through and so like I would have got like, I got it cut sometimes and get infected it was just really annoying and so I was like I can't you know like if I hit my arm on the mat like my bone's gonna come through with my skin and so like I, I kind of marinated on that thought and marinated you know on the fact that this might be a pivotal moment for me and I wanted to be labeled as an athlete a wrestler I just thought that it was a badass thing right like just I wanted to do it <laughs> And so I came home one day and I waited for both my parents to come home and my parents supported me in everything and anything I wanted to do. But this was a little bit different. I said, mom and dad, I want to be a wrestler. And my mom was like, Nick, like, no way. Like your arm, like you, you already know this is going to happen. Like if you hit your arm on the mat, your bones, bones going to come through your skin. What are you going to do then? And I asked them, I was like, can we, can we cut it off? Like, can we do something about it? Whoa. And yeah. And they were like, first off, it's, it's amputation, Nick. You're so aggressive with your terms. It's not cut off. And I was like, all right, can we amputate my arm? And they were like, Nick, is this like really something that you really want to do? Like, you don't even know if you're going to be, you know, on the team. You don't even know if you're going to be able to start. I'm like, I, I don't care. Like, this is what I want to do. And that, the lesson behind that is like, not only, you know, Ed talked about it, but not only like, what are you, what are you willing to give up for your dreams or what are you willing to do to pivot? But also like whatever you're focusing your energy on, whether that's becoming a better father, better, you know, becoming a better mother, a better husband, whatever it may be, you need to focus 110% effort on whatever you're doing or you're going to sell yourself short. And like if you if you believe in yourself that you deserve to do great things, like why would we sell ourselves short? And cut me off anytime. Like, uh, you know, like just- Are you kidding I'll, me? I'll this, is, <laughs> this is so good. All I can think about is how many people out there are willing to cut their arm off for their dreams to participate, Right. Yeah, just like that pivot, right? Just even having the belief that it'd be able to pivot you out of a situation. And so, you know, I persuaded my parents in my sophomore year, we scheduled the amputation and what they did was they lasered five inches of the bone off, which that's pretty cool. I didn't even know they could do that. And so they lasered five inches of the bone off and did a skin graft. So they pulled extra skin from up on my shoulder, pulled it over my limb so I could have some cushion so I could beat it up. And, um, you know, I, I always tell people I, I went back to ha high school and I was the happiest kid that just cut his arm off. I was just like, you know, fi I was fired up and people were like, dude, like what happened? Because I didn't really, you know, I didn't really tell everyone. I didn't go around saying, you know, I was going to amputate my arm. I kind of just showed up and 
um, people are like, dude, like, what'd you do? I'm like, I cut, I cut my arm off. And they're like, why? Like, and I said, you know, I'm going to become a wrestler. And, you know, people were like, you were like, what, what do you mean? Like, let's be real, Nick. Like, you know, what do you mean athlete, let alone wrestler? Like, it's the most physical sport. Like, how are you going to do it? You have no legs, one arm. And, you know, there's there's always going to be outside noise. And it's just it's just like, what is your ability to turn that outside noise into fuel rather than let it sink you? And so my whole life, that's the one thing I was very good at was, you know, like, just how I remembered that kickball story. Like I use that as fuel. Like I use, I like in those dark, like those times where I need a oomph, like I'll go back into a moment. Right. And I use all of that as, as something that's going to elevate me rather than sink me because you know, like right now we're floating around in, in, in plain energy. Like everything on this world is plain energy. And like, if, if you came up to me and, and was like F off, like it would be up to me to dictate whether I get offended or not. It's just like, or I could be like, he's having a bad day. And and so that's kind of a superpower in itself, realizing like just like the meaning you attach behind things, it can change the game. And so but yeah, so getting getting back to that, you know, I was like, you know, I'm not going to become a wrestler. I'm going to become a varsity wrestler. And so my junior year, I got my butt kicked and, and I went into the room and the wrestling room at practice. And I told my buddies, I was like, guys, listen, you need to beat me up like you can't hold back, like pick me up, slam me, like do whatever you need to do, because if you hold back, I'm not going to know how to become the best wrestler I could possibly be. Whoa. And and that's the same like that's the same approach my parents took. Right. My parents used to put my clothes in front of me and say, figure it out in the most polite way. Or they put me in my high chair and say, figure it out. And, and that's another question the audience can sit here and ask is like, and self-reflect on is like, are we doing too much for our kids? Are we are we are we coddling our kids too much? Are are we not putting trials and tribulations and challenges and letting them work for it? Because if we're not, they'll never exercise that muscle of realizing things aren't easy. Let's talk about that a minute because when you speak, I know quite often you end up speaking um, about things that are centered around parents and the way that they're raising their kids. And obviously, this comes from the way that your parents had a profound effect on your life. Help paint that picture for us. What role did your parents play in who you are today? Yeah, my parents are my parents are the superhero. I'm just the uh, the offspring, and, and so in 1996, like that was still a time you you can remember and have a better you know remember of me because I was one. But back then. Disabled Wait, did you just kids. call me old, bro? No, 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 no. I was just saying that I was <laughs> just, just <kidding>. born. <laughs> I was and graduating so, high school that year, so you are accurate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like in 1996, like disabled kids were kind of like, kind of still sh- not shunned, right? But they weren't like, it wasn't like, you didn't put them out there, I felt like. It was very different in the 90s, right? It, right? Yeah. But like people still use the word, and I'm just going to say, I feel so bad even saying it now, but people would use the word retarded, right? And like it was a, yeah. uh, like it was, you could just use the word and it didn't affect anybody. And, and it was a normal part of language. And there wasn't as much like motivation and, and, and you know, putting people on a pedestal that have overcome great things. Like it was just a, a different time, right? Yeah, exactly. And so my, when I was born, my, my parents went against the grain, which is, is, was the move, right? Like even their mentality and what their actions, they went against the grain. And what I mean by that is my dad was like, everyone's going to know like who my kid is. And like, and like what the syndrome is and like what he's capable of doing and the energy he brings and the big smile that he has as a baby and the full head of hair. Like my dad was like, my parents were like, everyone's going to know who this is. So they went, they went, you know, and got to the mayor of New Jersey at the time, which we still know, like whoever she was, I forget, I forget her name. And, you know, wrote this big letter, went and, went and visited her and the mayor came out and, and visited my house and made this whole article to the community, like, 
welcome baby Nicholas to our community. This is baby Nicholas. This is who he is. Um, we're going to support him and his family any way they need. And basically like my parents pushed me and, and that was my, my title was little baby Nicholas. And like my, my mom would put on, you know, events to raise money. Like my second birthday was a, a walkathon with thousands of people that, that, you know, walked for a cause. And my mom would facilitate these events and do these speeches and just bring awareness. And like, that was the thing, like, dude, they, they went against the grain and was like, yo, like this kid's like not going to be put into an attic. Like we're going to show everyone what's good and, and what he's truly capable of doing. Dude, your parents so, are total heroes. I freaking yeah, love this. Yeah, okay, keep sure. going. Yeah. And so, you know, my, my dad was just super, I, I remember my dad's just super passionate about like, you know, like I'm not, not this kid's not going to be hidden. And so they did that. But one of the things they did was basically sat me down at an early age and was like, listen, Nick, like <laughs> this is how you're born and, and the world's not going to stop. Like you, you got to learn how to, you know, keep up for yourself and you got to learn how to put your clothes on yourself. You got to learn how to eat and you got to learn how to walk and do all these things. And we're going to sit on the sideline and, and, and help you a little bit, but we're going to pep talk you through this, but like, you're going to have to figure out how to do things Nick's way. And so, you know, putting clothes in front of me and, and sitting with me and saying, all right, come on, like figure it out. And just like giving me ideas and tips and tricks. And my dad was always very innovative and my mom was very innovative of making little gadgets and like for a spoon and stuff. But, um, they always wanted to, show people that Nick can do it on his own. Like he doesn't need help, you know, because th like from the moment I was born, doc the doctors handed over a list to my parents and, and it was all the things that they said I would never be able to do in my life. And your parents and, said, no, he's doing it. Oh yeah. They said, thanks, but no thanks. Like you're not going to put limits on my son. Like, yeah, you're professional, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Wow. Okay. So after all of that, and the fact that you studied this and you talk about it, what is your one biggest piece of advice for parents right now? is they need they, everything's a muscle everything's a muscle and so i think my the biggest advantage i had growing up was like i knew that everything i was going to try was going to take time and i think in this world nowadays that like as soon as things get hard kids throw in the towel and so they they need to build that muscle more so that's just like making your kid like work for something more rather than rather than giving him the screen time whatever the parents call it nowadays instead of giving him the screen time make him you know, do something to earn that or, you know, re like listen to an auto. Like there's so many creative ways to like set up that reward, I guess, or just not handing people, not handing the kids things or not handing them. Like I see like kids say, you know, mom, I can't tie my shoes. Okay. Well learn like, you know, like do it. Like don't just keep doing it for them. And so I think the biggest piece of advice is just like, let them fall, you know, let them fall now or else they're going to fall hard when they're older because they're not going to know like that things are hard. Man. I don't know. What, 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 is, what are your thoughts? Well, I couldn't agree more, right? Because I see way too many examples, especially nowadays. And, and maybe this is just because I'm getting to the point where Lori and I are talking about having kids now, where I actually critique parenting. And I let me be clear on the record here. I have no business critiquing parenting before I'm a parent, <laughs> right? But you do it. You can't help it. And I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm going to let my kid struggle a little bit. I'm going to let my kid figure things out a little bit. I'm actually going to have to you know, create a few pain points or let them find them on their own and, you know, end up with a tough skin because our kids are going to grow up in a very privileged home. And I don't want them to grow up without that, that tough love and without that little bit of extra grit to them. Or quite honestly, they're not going to be happy. I feel like you have to have that extra grit to you to create a life that makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And just like, like I said, I mean, 
as, as parents, you always want to do everything for your kids. And, and I'm put this out. I don't have any kids. I'm 22. Um, I got some time. And so I'm not critiquing, critiquing parenting, but like, like you said, everyone does it, but yeah, I just think it's, it's, it comes down to the parent, right? And it's their actions. It's the way they react to things. The one, the one example, I, I always like this example and it's, it goes back to like the meaning you attach behind things is like, say you're in a car, right? And you have your kid in the passenger seat and you're driving down the parkway and it starts pouring. Like you have two choices on how you're going to react. You can be like, oh man, like the, the rain, you know, like I hate rain. And then your kid sees that and it has a negative feeling or a negative emotion attached to rain now. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you can be like, man, Susie, like now I don't have to wash the car. The rain did it for me. Like, what's it going to be? Mm, man, so good. I love the perspective shift. Is it an obvious question to say, where did you get such a strong grip on perspective from? Or did you have to work at this like everybody else? I, 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 had, to, I had to work on it just like everyone else. And that, like the one thing that I, I remember, even to this day, I still think it. And even when I was younger, I was like, you know, like, I would think like, why do people think my life's so hard? And I would think about that because me, like, I'm good. Like I can live on my own. Like I, like when I was young, like I was independent, like I did things. And I always, always look like wondered, like, why do people think I'm inspiring? Why do people think I'm cool? Like my life's pretty easy. And so, but, but I think I, I worked on it like perspectives, like you just, you only know what you know. And so you have to go and experience things to, to get that perspective or read things or get that perspective. And so like, even, even moving to Tampa, like I'm, I have another perspective because I've never seen so many homeless people where I'm from. You know, and so when it's a constant reminder, like you're like, man, like my, the, the things that I complain about on a day to day basis aren't really problems, you know, in the grand scheme of life. Um, but I don't I don't it's, it's funny. I, I don't know. It's definitely a muscle. And, you know, maybe my parents, my parents help instill perspective into me. Um, I know they help, you know, instill that perspective into my siblings as well. Like, I don't know. That's that's a great question. I'm all over on that because I, I just can't pinpoint a moment. Well, let's talk about how you shifted something in perspective a little bit earlier. And you said, and I want to quote earlier in the um, interview, you said, today I was having one of those days where I felt like I wasn't doing enough. And you were having one of these, I'm not doing enough in life moments, right? And I thank you for that transparency. I have those moments too, by the way. So here's a question for you. What would quote doing enough look like? Because I see you all over the place changing lives on a regular basis. So what would doing enough look like if it looked differently than this? To be honest, man, I don't, I don't know. And, and like, this is, this is great because I'm be fully honest. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is. Right. I don't know what's going to make me be like, wake up one day and be like, ah, like I can, I'm good, you know? And even, even now, like where I am, where I am in, in business. Right. So I'm 22 I started the keynote speaking company a year ago in October. So it's a, a year this month. And so here I am a 22, 21 year old and I'm learning to, I'm learning to become a CEO. I'm learning business. I'm learning. I'm just learning, right? That's how I learn. I throw myself into things. I have no idea what I'm, you know, what I'm, what I'm about to get into. And I just like figure it out. That's, that's what you got to do. And so, you know, even now with the company, everything like right now, like everything gets reinvested into the company, right? For the book, for the, for the program, for like, so, so right now I'm in the super grinding stages and, and I haven't even, um, me or my team, like super grateful for the guys like me or my team haven't even taken paychecks yet because you know, everything's just getting reinvested and we don't feel like we're at the point in the company to be able to distribute salaries the way we want. 
And so like, I think just right now for me, the one of the blocks in my head is just like my whole, whole entrepreneur journey, right? I've been, I've been changing lives, which is priceless. I've been, I've been, you know, traveling around the world. It's just where I am financially, I've been running into a circle. I've been running in a circle for my whole entrepreneurial career. So what are you going to do to change that? Well, I did work. We got some things coming up that, that are going to change the game. Um, we, like I said, we just secured the, the tour in China. I mean, we have a lot coming up, right? It's just we're, we're uh, I, I use the analogy, um, you know, we're like fueling up the rocket ship and it's about to explode and, and, and I'm about to be on the other side of the fence. But I just like I've never felt that. I've never tasted that. And even when I do have like, you know, even when the bank account is growing, like that's not going to fulfill you anyway. Right. Because like money doesn't do anything. So I don't really know when there, when that time is going to be. And, and that's, I think it's a blessing and a curse as hustlers and entrepreneurs is like, we always want to do more, you so know? Let's talk about something that you just mentioned. You said, even when the bank account is totally full, it's not going to make you happier fulfilled because money doesn't do that. Right. So what do you believe the purpose of earning a significant amount of money and yeah. know, being successful is? Yeah. So, so my thing, um, I'm a, I'm a giver, I'm a lover and a giver. And so one of the things that makes me feel amazing is being able to give people experiences that they've never had before or never thought they could have, or um, taking just like, I, to be honest, I think about this like every day is like, I can't wait until Christmas comes along and I can hand over like my sister's checks for like five grand and be like, go, go spoil it on the baby because I don't need it. I love, you know, that. like, like I'm just like my dad, like my dad would give everything you know, for, to see other people, you know, smile and have great, you know, experiences. And like, even, even Ratmir, like he, he's, he and I is the one that started the company in the beginning. And so he's my manager, best friend. And like, he, he came over here eight years ago from Russia and, you know, his dad worked his way up as an entrepreneur. And so he's working his way up as an entrepreneur, never, never handed anything. And I can't wait for the day where we can go into the Benz dealership and be like, what do you want, dude? Because you grinded, you worked for it. Like, this is, this is what happens. You know, I just want to be able to like call my boys up and be like, yo, like I rented a house in Ibiza or I rented a house somewhere. Like come experience this with me. Like I want to have people around me. Like I just want to give people experiences and be able to take care of people when they need help. So I totally love that that's the way you're built. And it's something that you and I, you know, found right away that we have in common. It's the ethos of this show, right? Be successful so that you can do good things for other people. So what is, I ask everyone this question, what is one of your all-time favorite moments of giving so far? Yeah, that's, that's a good one. So I, I was working, I'm still kind of working with a nonprofit in Uganda. And so basically going over there and, and trying to give them tools for like sustainability, right? Rather than going over there, giving them food and water, like teaching them how to build more efficiently or farm more efficiently. But one of the things that I was able to do was um, this kid, he, I guess he, he broke his kneecap. He broke his knee. So he broke, like he broke his leg. His leg was all messed up, didn't have the money for an operation. And so like they were about to amputate this kid's leg and, and I, I covered like half of the surgery, just like pay, PayPal, like it wasn't much, like, you know, compared to like what it is in US. Like I think I PayPal like 400 bucks over to Africa and was able to save this kid's leg. Wow. And like, like, just like, yeah, I, I need to think, I need to reflect on that more. It's, yeah, you I'm do. glad you asked me that question. But look yeah, at the just difference like, you made that kid's life. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So like, I just, right, like that kid, you know, he didn't think he would be able to experience having, you know, 
getting healed and stuff. Like I just, like I said, man, I just want to be able to like do things and, and bring people along for like crazy dope experiences that they never think they can have. So and now let, like, me, let me flip like, that for you. Tell me about a time that generosity played a role in your life when somebody did something generous that gave you a boost up. Yeah, dude, I, I just got blown away. Actually, the video was released today. I think a, a week ago or two weeks ago. So I didn't know about this. And so I, I'll, I'll go fast with the story. But my team was like, hey, like um, we were about to go eat tacos and I love food. I love tacos. So like I'm starving and they're like, we're about to go eat tacos. And like, no, you, you like you have a meeting. And I'm like, no, dude, like I don't have a meeting. Like I check my calendar. Like, what are you talking about? They're like, no, dude, like we have a meeting with the digital marketing team. I'm like, all right, like whatever. And so a couple minutes later, three dudes walk in like camera. Like one guy's got a camera, like other guys got this big present. And I'm like, I'm like trying to look at my team. Like what is going on? Like, come on, like communicate with me. And they sat me down on the couch and these guys played a video they created. And basically it was a recap of this past year, like going to Alaska, like going all over. And then, you know, my two guys, Ratmir and Don, they, you know, personally made like, it was, like uh, they were talking towards the camera and it was like thanking me for the opportunity to travel the world and help change people's lives. And like, here I am like bawling my eyes out and then I still don't know what's going on. And then they bring in this big, this big gift and I, I unwrap it and it's, it's a, a, a drawing and a painting that they sketched of me and my two guys on the top of a mountain that I climbed and like a super dope portrait. And he, he saw me from Ed Milet's podcast. He said I changed his life and that he needed to do something. And so he he took two two weeks of of drawing ten hours a day and did this painting and flew from Tahiti to surprise me with his friends. Oh. Yeah. This was like a week ago. I was like I was bawling my eyes out, like freaking out. I had no idea what was going on. And then like I told him in the video, I was like, dude, no one gets me. Like I'm always the one doing this. Like I never got surprised before. And like, I, I, like, I had no idea what was going on. I was totally blown away. Dude, I love that story. And is no wonder you want to do that for other people. So tell, yeah. us, tell us about your book a little bit, Victim to Victor. Because, you know, here we are talking about entrepreneurship and inspiring people, doing good for each other and all this stuff. And this book in itself, in my opinion, is an act of giving. It's an act of love. And it needs to be in as many hands as possible. So what's the book's message and what makes it so special? Yeah, thank you. So it's victim to victor, how to overcome the victim mentality to live the life you love. And so I feel like the majority of the world is it lives through some sort of victim mentality, right? This, the story we play over and over again to ourselves or limiting beliefs, we just think like we, we think the world's happening to us rather than for us. And that's a big game changer too. And so basically I wanted, everyone wants to know how I think. And I've realized that through speaking, everyone wants to know my mindset and how I think. And so I basically put in the book 15 personal stories of mine, the lesson of, of what that story you know did for me and how you can apply it into your life. And, and that's how I think the best way of teaching is painting the picture for people. So like storytelling and lessons and how you can apply it, I feel like is a very um, you know efficient way for learning and just really making it super simple for people to learn and grasp and be able to implement. And so it's 15 stories, um, the lesson and an application. And also after every chapter, we use very deep questions so you can self-reflect and work on yourself. And so, because I didn't want people just reading a book and like reading a book and then be like, oh, you know, this is great. Like I, there's, there's, there's some, there's some sentences to write. And I don't want to say workbook because people will get turned off, but it, it has some questions at the end of every chapter that help you self-reflect and like, you know, like what are the mountains in your life? Like, you know, just really, really good questions that really pull out 
pull out the deep stuff out of people that they need to like put on paper and reflect and, and change. And so um, I also say that it's super, super cool for parents to not like, so each is a workbook. So if, if a parent gets one and the kid gets one, like you can start holding each other accountable and, and instilling good habits. And for example, I talk a lot about gratitude. And so the kid can write down when he wakes up, like the five things he's grateful for, and then say, mom, dad, like, what are you grateful for? And you guys go back and forth. And what you're doing is instilling that habit through actions and through words. And then, you know, that's a great habit to have is being grateful because I think we can both agree that there are a lot of ungrateful kids getting, you know, raised nowadays. Dude, this book needs to be in everybody's hands because one of the most limiting factors when it comes to people not taking off in their business, right? Because the majority of listeners here are entrepreneurs is the fact that they play victim way too often. They feel like things are being done to them instead of for them. They're unable to reframe that and most of the time, they don't even know that they're doing it. And so they don't understand, you know, I tried my business and this happened to me. And then I tried this and this happened to me. And then I tried that, like everyone else said, and that happened to me. When am I going to catch a break? And they don't actually yeah. understand that everything's happening for them. And if they did, their businesses would freaking skyrocket because they'd keep stepping up to the plate over and over and over again. That's why everyone needs this book in their hands. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you for that. And, and, and like I said, you only know what you know. Right. And so if people are primed, like it's going to take some, it's going to take a lot of work. Like, don't think this is just like, you're going to wake up one day and have this victorious mindset. Like you need to work on yourself. Yeah, dude, I couldn't agree more. I'll tell you what, let's do this because I want people to have this book in their hands. I will buy and send 20 books to the first 20 people that DM me on Instagram at Chris W. Harder. I will send 20 books to the first or a book to the first 20 people at den, that DM me their address and that they want your book victim to victor. Let's, wow. Let's, thanks. That's dope. Yeah. Let's do that for people. Like everybody Thank you, bro. needs this book. Everyone needs this book. So where can we find you? Where should we follow you? Where should we get the book? Yeah. So the book is on Amazon. So if you type in victim to victor, um, it'll pop up. It's the, it's the Nick with the really long last name. And then, um, you know, my, my main website right now is just booknicksanto.com. So it's B-O-O-K-N-I-C-K-S-A-N-T-O.com. And then, you know, where I do most of my posting is on Instagram, which is just Nick Santanastasso. But if you type in Nick S-A-N, it'll be the guy with the really long last name again. <laughs> I Wait, time out. I'm proud. I mastered this last name with your help right before we got on here. So <laughs> I got to say it. Santanastasso. Did I nail it? Yeah. Yeah, Santa Nastasso, you got it. Dude, see, it means <laughs> something to me to, to, to nail that. All right, so last question I ask everybody is this. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of their dreams and success and wealth? Yeah, because most of the time they're going to be the, the, the outside noise can come from your family or your friends. There's not going to be people that share the same vision of you. And so it's not selfish for you to elevate yourself and surround yourself with the right people and, and kind of let people, people fall behind because they don't have the endurance or the mindset to keep up with what you want to accomplish. Just, just get that out of your head that it's not selfish to level up um, and that you're doing it for you. And really that the only relationship in life that matters is you with you and how you feel as a human being. So don't feel like you're being selfish when you're elevating on the ladder. Dude, yes. So good. I couldn't agree more. Nick, thank you so much for taking your time. I know how valuable it is to jump on here to inspire everybody. Thank you for doing the tours that you do, you know, like the grind that you do, being on all the stages that you are. Otherwise, I wouldn't have found you and so many other people wouldn't have found you. What you do every day, day in and day out, talking about your journey and, you know, traveling across the world I, I, for the very obvious point that it's 
more difficult, I'm guessing, for you to travel across the world than it would be for Lori and I. Thank you for all of that because it is absolutely making a difference and you need to know that. Thank you, bro. It means the world. I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. All right, man. I can't wait to see you at the next event. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.